Hey, yo, artists and musicians. Who, us? Yeah, do you want your own vinyl records? Yeah, but I can't order a thousand of them. Or wait like a year to get them. Yeah, we're going on tour in two months. Check out our friends lathecuts.com. They'll make you vinyl singles in quantities as small as 50 copies and as quickly as three or four weeks. Get out of here. You heard me right. All their pricing is a la carte and they can help you pick a package that fits your budget. Okay, who we talk to about this? You need to email my buddy Mike. His address is lathecuts at yahoo.com. And if you mention low profile, you'll get a 10% overrun on your order. So if I order 50 records? Mike's going to send you 55. If I order 75, I guess you will get 82 and a half? Something like that. Remember, you got to mention low profile to get that deal, and it won't be around forever. What was that address again? That's lathecuts at yahoo.com. Custom made records in small quantities. Mention low profile to get a 10% overrun on your order. And emailing now. Hey, it's Markley, low profile. My esteemed guest today is Swamp Dog, a veteran singer, songwriter, and producer who's been active since 1954. His most recent album, Sorry You Couldn't Make It, was produced by Justin Vernon of Bonnie Vare and features John Prine's final performance on Joyful Noise Recordings. Now I have an old friend who's also on that label, Chris Schlarb, whose project is called Psychic Temple. I called Chris at his Long Beach, California recording studio, Big Ego, to talk with him about his recent experience producing Swamp Dog for a 7-inch record series called Cause and Effect. Uh, well, somehow uh, we became label mates on Joyful Noise uh, recordings. And, you know, I'd, I'd been a Swamp Dog fan for years. And at some point, Carl, who runs Joyful, sent me a message and he said something along the lines of, hey, have you ever heard of this Swamp Dog guy? And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> uh, of course, you know. And um, he was like, yeah, I think we might be putting out this record. And uh, it was the it was the the Love, Loss and Auto-Tune album. And he sent it to me ahead of time. And um, maybe sometime in between that record coming out um, and his new one, Carl got in touch with me and he said, Hey, would you be into covering a Swamp Dog song for the 7-inch series for Joyful Noise? And I said, yeah, if he will cover one of my songs and come to Big Ego and we can cut it all in one day and I'll put the band together. And eventually, uh, yeah, Swamp came down uh, to Big Ego and he covered Road Song, which I wrote. I was gone I was on my own In this world Like a rolling stone And then I covered uh, The Baby Is Mine And uh, 
He's funny, man. He, dude, we were in here sitting on the couch, and I was in stitches. I mean, I think he said something along the lines of, he sat down on the couch in the control room, and he said something like, um, he goes, uh, what, what's a guy got to do to get some water around here? Or, you know, something like that. So I, like, I, I, I got him some water, you know. I got him some cough, and he's like, he's like, where's the snacks? You know, just like, uh-huh. okay. And I said, you know, you can get up, get your own goddamn snacks, you know. And we just kind of started, like, kind of getting into it with each other. And he'd just crack a joke on me, and I'd crack one back. And, dude, I mean, I, it was a real honor and a privilege for me to not only to be able to, like, produce him, but for him to be singing one of my songs, um, it means the world to me. Thanks to Chris for that anecdote. His band Psychic Temple will be back later this season. Fair warning before we hear the rest of this episode. Swamp Dog tends to curse a lot, so if that's problematic for your sonic environment, you can navigate to lowprofilepodcast.com for a bleeped version. Now, without further ado, I am thrilled to share my interview with Jerry Swamp Dog Williams. Jerry, thank you so much for uh, for joining me today. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it. How you holding up these days, man? Um, the same as always, I guess, and that means. <clears throat> I'm still producing albums and I'm steady writing songs and just doing things, you know, looking for looking for new talent and just having fun. I'm glad to hear you're still writing songs, producing oh, records. I, I oh, talked yeah. to your daughter yesterday and she told me that you were working on some kind of Woody Guthrie project right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing uh do you remember that Woody Guthrie song? Uh oh. I'm coming. Wait a minute. What was it? I'm coming. Jesus, I gotta go look at it. It don't minute. matter. Uh yeah, who who are you hanging out with over there? Oh, that's my partner and engineer. And co-produced Moog Star. Oh, Moog Star. Mm-hmm. I've been curious about that guy because he's he's been your right hand man for a little while here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell him I said hello. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I appreciate his work just as well. Yeah. Well, he's damn good. I was looking to collaborate on a Swamp Dog album with somebody that had something different to add to what I was doing. And um, we struck up a relationship based on some new stuff he was doing and some stuff that I wanted to get into. And uh, he used to be the keyboard man for Cameo. That's a great band. I heard he worked with Zap, too. Yep, yep, he did. He's done a lot of stuff for other people. 
And now he's working for Swamp Dog. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I hope I hope that keeps up. It seems like you guys are peas in a pod though. Match made in heaven. Right. I wanted to just just not dwell on it too much, but jump back to uh your your roots, your your beginnings cuz you've been writing and recording music since you were a kid. Right. And uh I guess if I'm not mistaken, the first Little Jerry track was HTD Blues. Yeah. And that's that's a 12-year-old singing about drinking whiskey and infidelities. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I'm over 21 years old and I'm grown. Uh, right, I caught that. You flipped the digits in that age there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from 12 <laughs> to 21. Now I know I drink my whiskey and sometimes get cut away. Now I know I drink my whiskey And sometimes you tell me I'm over 21 years old and I'm grown So you ain't got a darn thing to say You're a funny looking woman And got some funny ways well, you were definitely doing your best full-grown man impression, too. Yeah, I'm trying. I mean, I, I listened to that a few days ago. I said, my God, that's awful. But, uh, and I was, I was playing piano, too. So. Yeah, how'd you get started on that piano? You just have one in your house? Or? Yeah, yeah, in those days, everybody had a, a piano and a Victrola in their homes. And uh, my mother and my stepfather, they had a, a musical group all the time, so um, that's where the piano came in. Always had one. Did you do a lot of uh, entertaining back then? Yeah. In your younger days? Yeah. I was singing like standards but they weren't really mm-hmm. standards then. They were new. Um, but they were white records that was appealing to white people. And um, But that's what they were hearing on the radio with the exception of country. So I used to sing those songs. And uh, due to the fact that I was a minor, I used to have to sit out in the car or on the bus whoever I was working with and come time for me to do my part they would rush me in I'd do four five numbers and then they'd rush me back to the car the bus then we got away with having a minor in a place where he wasn't supposed to be yeah yeah hey I was thrilled to death at that same time, I had a, I was a delivery boy for Washington Pharmacy, so I made uh, I made twenty five dollars a week riding a bicycle, and then I had a TV show on a channel. This this guy, he was car dealer, Pontiac dealer, and. Uh, he opened that station in order to sell his cars. And uh, he needed um, talent in between his advertisements. 
So um, actually, I, I just went over there, took my little three-piece band, and um, they listened to us, and they gave us a slot. And What was uh, this TV show called? Uh, rock and Roll Time. All right. Mm-hmm. All you had to do was go over an audition. If you was half-ass anything, he they'd give you a show. So me having a TV show didn't mean I was all that good. It just mean meant that he had somebody else to hold down those slots so he could sell his cars. But in the meantime. Uh, I was out uh, soliciting sponsors because I was all over town on this bicycle delivering medicines everywhere. So um, I got a bakery, a community bakery, and they bought time. I don't know how much uh, he charged them or paid them, but mm-hmm. every uh, every Friday night there'd be a cake there for us to show, and um, and we got twenty five bucks for that. So nice, nice. Hey, for that age, shit, that was killer money. Yeah, you're raking it in. I was working my ass off, and I didn't realize it. But, uh, well, really didn't care, because I just loved what I was doing. Is this this on top of school, or are you too busy in showbiz for all that? Oh, no, I was in school. Yeah. Wow. I was in school. Now, when did you start, um, like, writing songs for other people, getting into the publishing world? Because I know you've done a whole lot of that. Yeah. um, When I got to uh, New York, and I met a guy by the name of Matt Parson. He was working for a company uh, called Aldo Records. And mm-hmm. he got me a contract over there. No one knew I was under 21 either, so I'm running around town. I'm signing any motherfucking thing I wanted to. So <laughs> anyway, uh, he got me over there. As a result of what... Well, he heard a lot of the stuff that I I had written, and he liked it. And they had artists they were cutting, so we had, uh, I wrote songs for some artists whose record never came out. Like, there was a guy by the name of Freddie Houston. He was pretty big back in those days. And uh, Tom, Tom McCann put out a shoe 
called Soft Walking. Um, and I wrote a little theme for that. But in the meantime, I had written a song uh, to fit Freddie Houston. And yeah, Freddie Houston. Let me see. I had, I had gotten a group from Virginia to come up to New York and uh, called the Raw Robins and I recorded them Something you got baby That makes me work every day now Something you got baby That makes me bring you my thing Something you got baby wrote songs from there, but they didn't call it producing and none of that shit. The only person really got any credit on record labels was the arrangers and sometimes the writers, you know, but mm -hmm. other than that, they didn't give credit to anybody. Yeah. Writers, nothing. And, I know uh, a lot of those labels, they would, like sometimes the owner of the record label would take the writing credits. Yeah. Give themselves, yeah. Or at least put his name on it with you. Well, mm -hmm. well, Matt Parson ended up with his name on a lot of my shit. And uh, I had, oh yeah, I had a, a minor hit in the Midwest and in the, I would say, New York area. A thing called Chapel on, I'll always remember the Chapel on the Hill. Everywhere I'd go, I'd get signed, and somebody would want one of my songs, but they would not. They would put the songs out, but nothing would happen. What they were buying was me, because I used to stand up, play the piano, and dance while I was playing, you know? And mm -hmm. I had mm -hmm. all this enthusiasm and shit that I threw in that I felt from my heart. What they bought was a visual performance. So when they got back to the office and listened to this shit, they said, we done gave this song bitch money for nothing. It sounds like you needed music videos before there were music videos. Exactly. Exactly. Well, well Jerry, I wanted to um, talk a little bit about the, the new album, Sorry You Couldn't Make It. Um, Cause that kind of ties back into your your early songwriting career. You're sort of dipping back into the country thing, and I, like you you wrote my favorite tune that Johnny Paycheck did. Don't right. take her; she's all I've got. And uh, 
and then in your liner notes you talk about how you were not given the warmest welcome from the country music association back then right now you've got a bigger audience than you've had in a long time um you've got a good platform and you're putting out your your country music skills on full display right but um I guess before we talk about the uh, the new record, could you tell me a little bit about your time in the in the Nashville circuit? You didn't live in Nashville, right? right? I wasn't in the circuit. Um, I just happened to be like uh, I don't know, like the two headed baby. Something I was a novelty. Um, I um, I wrote. Uh, She's All I Got with in collaboration with Gary U.S. Barnes. And uh, we got nominated for Country Grammy and all that. And um, we didn't get it, but we got nominated. But anyway, that's, that's the other thing that I like about Country is once they let you in, you don't ever have to leave. And you, the older you get, the more respect you have, you, you, you get. With rhythm and blues, uh, you have a smash hit record this week, and next week they want to know, well, what else you got? You know, mm-hmm. that's old hat. But country don't let their artists become old hat. They, right. Uh, they keep them alive. I can go into just about any publishing firm or record company in Nashville well, you can't just walk into places now, but I can call mm-hmm. and say, uh, this is Jerry Williams. Uh, I, I want to get an appointment with uh, A&R director, who I would have found out his name by the time I made the call. And uh, it's, oh, well, he's busy right now, but uh, can he call you back? Yeah, you can call me back. You can give him the hotel number and all that. Next thing you know, you got a call back. And it's based on the fact that, oh, that's the guy that wrote such and such. You know, well, that guy just uh-huh. might have another hit, you know. And, yeah. And they want to meet you. They, they want to meet you because you basically are somebody. What, uh, you know, your family, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, with this new record, you got you got a lot of good guests on there, revisiting some of your older work, right? And you also notably had John Prine on there for his yeah. last recording, right. Please let me go round again 
can't you afford me another chance? If you let me go round again, I'll build a better mousetrap from a far more better plan. Everything I put my hands on. Sad to see him go. Oh man, we had uh, we were going to go to Ireland to his house over there and take a couple weeks and just write songs together. Uh, we hadn't set a date, but we were going to do it soon. Then this happened. Um, yeah, but his song Sam Stone is the featured song in my show and has been for years and people love it. Sam Stone came home to his wife and family after serving in the conflict overseas. In the time that he served, it had shattered all his nerves and left a little shrapnel in his knee. But the morphine eased the pain and the grass grew around his brain. Gave him all the confidence he lacked. With a purple heart and a monkey on I thanked him a thousand times for that song. When when I first heard that song, I was working for Atlantic as uh, their first black in-house producer. I, I didn't do anything phenomenal. It was just you could have painted your face black and uh, you are white, right? I am a white guy, okay. yeah. So you you could have painted your face black and gone in and you would have gotten the job. They needed somebody to put in that position right away that they could... Uh, uh, you know, let the industry know that we got one. Now they had a lot of producers, black producers, but they were producing in Detroit, in Muscle Shoals, in Nashville, that type of thing. And I had made a record thing called Shipwreck, and I played it for Henry Allen over there who was the man by the door. He loved it, asked me how much did I want, but I said, no, I don't want just a record uh, deal. I want a job, but I had a wife, four kids. So I said, okay, shit, you got one. And they needed me anyway because they get 
Once they signed me, they gave me a list with about 20, 25 names on it of acts that they weren't going to do anything else with. Jerry Greenberg, he told me, he said, look, you know, if you don't do them, we're going to drop them. If you want to do them, we'll give them a six-month extension. Uh, okay. So uh, I kept Patty LaBelle and the Bluebells, the Drifters, and what I did, just about everyone who knew the deal that came to me, I kept them. Yeah, and um, there's a lot of people who were there, and they were family, you know. I wasn't particular about being family over at Atlantic. I wanted to be a friend and to them, and they be friend, be a friend to me. But mm. as far as being in the family, that wasn't worth a fuck. And, um, oh, yeah, before I went over there, I had done Jean Pitney. She's a heartbreaker. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I got fired for doing that, and they basically told me I would be infringing if I tried to breathe some of the same air that Jean was breathing. But... I was in my little cubicle, not fucking with nobody. And Gene walks by. And he hears me. And he comes in. He said, what's that? That's a song I'm writing, you know, blah, blah, blah. Now, I did not invite this motherfucker. As a matter of fact, I even <laughs> had the, the door closed, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, Gene heard... She's a heartbreaker. He said, I'm going to sing it. I want it. We got together and rehearsed it and so forth. He learned it. And he learned it just like I was singing it. I'm singing at the same time he's singing. If you ever listen to uh, She's a Heartbreaker, you will hear a little voice in the background singing the same shit. That's me. He laid on my vocals and I got fired for cutting him. I, I turned in, I don't know, maybe five or six songs that went on to be hits for them. But they didn't own the publishing on it. You know, they they did not own the songs. And so on some of those songs, I'm still living because now uh, the... Uh, Rappers are sampling my shit, you know, and it just uh, the cycle keeps on going. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and you know, I think we should be really clear so the listeners understand. You're 
These are not comeback records, because you never went away. No. There's been Swamp Dog albums coming out on a regular basis for the last 50 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> Is that crazy to think about? 50 years of Swamp Dog albums, and you just... You, Guess what? You, it, it, it sounds like you never take you never took a break. But it sounded kind of foreign to me to the point that I almost corrected you and some said it has been 50 years you dummy it has yeah <laughs> 50 years total of anything, destruction to your mind yeah 50 years of anything it, it, that's a long time you know and that's not counting the before you started calling yourself swamp dog right right i didn't become swamp dog for 1970 I've heard it said that Swamp Dog is an alter ego, but I'm, you know, just in my research, I'm not sure where Swamp Dog ends and Jerry begins, you know? it. Well, actually, you talking to Jerry now. Yeah. Uh, Swamp Dog is like my mental bodyguard. Uh-huh. My mental bouncer. Um... Because I get my feelings hurt quick. And that's no way to uh, grow or try to run any kind of company, big or small. I needed somebody who could just talk openly to motherfuckers and, um, and didn't care, you know, what mm. they thought. And that was Swamp Dog. And yeah. I was able to interchange with Swamp Dog. You know, I may come back tell you, well, look, i tell you what. And I'm talking to that Swamp Dog. I'll talk to you tomorrow about this, and uh, we'll see where we go. Well, the next day, I done, I done worked it through my mind and everything. Swap Dog is the one who leaves and goes out and makes the meeting. And I was drinking my little vodka and shit. And uh, which will loosen a son of a bitch up a little more. You know, mm. so I found myself telling, I don't know how, you know, maybe I would have been bigger, but, you know, I would tell a son of a bitch, if I asked for $3 and he wanted to give me $3.10, you know, I'd tell him, hey, man, you, you can kiss my ass, you know. And uh, i tell you what I wanted. See, Swamp Dog wasn't a writer, uh, really wasn't a producer. 
He wasn't any of the things that Jerry Williams aspired to be. So you couldn't hurt his feelings. You couldn't hurt his feelings. Plus, Swamp Dog was rich. And, you know, Jerry Williams was just somebody that Swamp Dog cared a lot for. So he, so he took care mm -hmm. of him. So it's, it's, it's a strange thing. It, it, it's, it sounds, every time I tell it, it sounds more and more strange, but that was um, that's the way it came about. Yeah. Yeah. And well, Swamp Dog's always also been able to stay relevant uh, on the cutting edge. But what it is, and I wanted to be in a category where there was no category. And my records, you listen to them, and each cut, I'm doing something different. About your disco period, you ever revisit any of that stuff, like with your live sets or anything? Do you, you keep any of that around? Because Swamp Dog seemed really at home in that format, in the in, with the disco vibe. I I was, it, but there was so many things that I liked better than disco. What what bothered me about disco is that. It was a formula. You had to have a certain amount of beats, and then the intro had to be like long. I forgot how long it was supposed to be. That no matter how great the song was being sung, or how great the song was, there was a spot where you had to stop and allow percussions to do their shit. Right. And, then you and that's for back. the DJs. Yeah. These disc jockers had started a new at cutting edge, I guess. And um, I don't know. It was just what really ruined me in thinking about disco was right as they were saying R&B and soul was dead I hit the chart and went as high as number two which she's all I got by Freddie North so then you know Johnny Paycheck got a hold of it and then everybody Conway Twitty and yeah, yeah. it's about a hundred artists and uh, and then I had Charlie Whitehead. He was on Island with a record called Love Being Your Fool. 
more power to you. I just love being your food. But those few little things, and I guess a couple more, let me know that there was still a market for the stuff I was oh, doing. Oh, yeah. But if I had to do that part all over again, I would cut much more disco. You know, I, I really like the, um, the material you were doing, like, say, in the late 80s, early 90s. Right. Uh, I actually, I just got a copy of, uh, I think it's called, I Asked for a Rope and They Threw Me a Rock. Yeah. Man, okay, so that song, Revolution, yeah, gives me chills. I love it. The, the synth horns on there are so heavy and uh, conviction in your voice. Mr. Bell's a Now you got class. Brought the horn to see your table from a Christmas tree pass. Let him get a belly full of what they'll never get again. Strengthen their career roles. I'll search a garbage can. And I really enjoyed uh, when you uh, started dropping the uh, comedians' names in there. I don't know if you remember that. Right now, they only got two people making call on this entire Robin Williams and a woman over. Ain't that pathetic for a country like this when the government is And uh, that's, remember, they started doing this thing for the for the poor and the homeless. The comic relief. Yeah. Yeah. The only uh, aim but two persons they can depend on as Robin Williams and Whoopi Goldberg. You know, basically what I'm saying is the government is just telling Telling the uh, citizens to just, hey, kiss our ass. We're going to do what we want. You know, fuck what you voted for. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we still need a revolution. You right. ask me. Right. Yeah. And now, see, the, the weird thing is, when I do a show, I'm now including some country, but there's other shit that people come to hear me do. Mm -hmm. My show has sometimes run over two hours. And because if you want to ask me something while I'm on stage, I'll let you do it. And I'll answer your question. And go on and do my next song or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I will engage the audience uh, I, as a matter of fact I insist on them being a part of what I'm doing because I'm doing it for them but anyway I want to I, 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 love, I love country I was raised on country 
and uh, we, what's the name of that song? Some on that new album, I was trying to hum it. It's I wrote it in a way that I figured Hank Williams would have written it. I don't believe your cocoa heart could be true if a man got on his knees and worshiped you. Are you related to Hank Williams? I know you got the same last name. You talk about Could me? Be. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I wish I were. <laughs> but, but uh, well, you can't pick your family. But, yeah. uh, he was great. As a matter of fact, I got Hank Williams t-shirts. Motherfuckers see me, my black self walking in with this great big old Hank Williams t-shirt on. And, you know, this, especially in predominantly black places, you don't even know who the fuck Hank Williams is, you know. So, um, but, uh, yeah. I get asked about it. And I, I like to wear it certain places draw attention. Because it's, it's a great shirt. And tear yours apart. Go play any game you like. But as for me, I'd rather be your used to than your supposed to be. Everything I can find out about yeah. all different types of music. Um, um, you know that you you did a your your self titled album was. I, I feel like someone could easily make the mistake of buying the album that's just called Swamp Dog uh-huh. and think they got a good picture of what your sound is. And that, that whole album is kind of in like a sort of Caribbean vibe. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I think that's the one. I think I, it, it might be the one that I cut in Trinidad. Definitely sounds like it. I um, went over there so it would be authentic and I, I think I had just gotten a check from Atlantic on uh, the Kid Rock album if um, can you put some more cream in there? Sure. Okay. Um, would Kid Rock pinch one of your tunes? Yeah. 
They was going to pay me to sing it. It was going to bring me and my wife to Detroit. Like, who the fuck wants to go to Detroit? But I, I've turned it down. And uh, I think I pissed him off. Because he put everything out in that album as a single except my song. And Ooh, but never burn. but that was still alright because he sold 17 million and I'm in it. You know Was that a cover or a, a sample? Uh, uh he sampled me doing a singing I got one for you you know and uh, a little teeny bit of the music. I was surprised because I listened to some electronic music too, and you've been getting a little more uh, attention in that world. Uh, you know, notably with the love loss and auto tune. Yeah. Hey, wh- where does uh, uh, what's name live? Uh... Justin Vernon. Uh, yeah. Oh, Justin. Yeah. Okay. He's We're talking about uh, yes. from from Bonnie Vare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause that's where Prince was from. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we we got together with uh, Ryan Olson, and um, I gave myself to them. Hello, darling. I'm taking a taxi home. My plane just landed, and I've been so alone. You know that black negligee I brought you? Well, tonight for me, that's just what the doctor ordered. That's exactly what I need. And well, some of that perfume I bought you, that Chanel number 69. I'll be home in a few minutes, and I got love album then I turned it over to them and then they re-reproduced the album Um, (laughs) and I what I did is something that was difficult and I kind of liked the whole idea of just turning it over you know and they said well hey Swan what you think hey I ain't got no fucking thoughts about it tell you when you finish you know and um, but this is the first time I ever let somebody else produce me. I would not. I mean, and I've had some biggies who wanted to produce me, and by the time they finished telling me where they feel I should be, fuck, I'd I'd be more fucking destitute than I am now. Yeah. Fucking with them. So I know I can depend on me. I think it came out great. It's a good, uh, you know. Yeah. It's a wild experiment. But, um, you know, wild experiments aren't too outside your wheelhouse. I was hearing some precursors to the Love Loss auto tune where you've done some 
other work where your voice has been, you know, electronically affected. Uh-huh. Had the, like, uh, what is that tune? It's like a galactical... Oh, yeah. Or funktastic yeah. galactical rock. Yeah. Oh, with, like, the vocoder thing. Yeah. I heard that you were painting a self-portrait in your swimming pool at one point in time. Yeah. So people could look down on it when they're flying into LAX. Yeah. And see a picture of Swamp Dog. Did that? What? Did that ever materialize? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got the, the pool is me on that white rat. You know the the cover around. Yeah. Yeah. That's iconic. Oh no way. And do you know what? You just open my eyes or something. We don't ever What's have that? any helicopters flying around in this area. But I've noticed in the past year we've had lots more helicopters shining their light down in my yard. And I thought, I said, these motherfuckers must think we dope dealers or something. That's not just, they're looking at that shit in the pool. Yeah. Oh, man. That's what it is. How long has that been there? About, about two years, I guess. So the painting's a picture of the album cover to Rat On. Yeah. And uh, for the listener, if you haven't seen that, I was wondering if you could describe that cover and tell me a little bit about the idea behind it. Well, the cover is a big white rat that you would say is about the size of a horse. Um, Right. I'm riding on his back with... uh, two-fisted power sign up in the air. And the thing that people miss a lot is they look at the rat real good. He's got a smile on his face. Yeah. And the reason he got the smile on his face is because he's saying to himself something to the effect of this chump think that he's gonna stay on top and I know better so that's what it's portraying that's why he's smiling I mean it's like you know I'm on the back and I'm just grinning and shit and the rest grinning too like hey you know I'm gonna have the last grin on this cause uh you gonna do something and fuck it up, you know, as a black person. So as the rat's supposed to be the white man, and uh, well, naturally I'm the black guy. So naturally, that's <laughs> that's <laughs> what it's about. And uh, I, I, and it has for ever since it's been out 
it has all it has landed in the top ten, if not number two. It went to number two one time, as uh, the worst album cover ever. And oh, what an honor! Uh, yeah, it is, but it keeps bringing the motherfucker to the foreground. Maybe that rat was wrong. Uh, yeah, uh, he might have been. I know when uh, when we got. Um, Damn, my man for president, I can't. I can't think of his name. Who's just fucking president? Oh, Obama. Uh, Obama? Obama, yeah. Yeah, sure. I heard of him. Yeah. Did you hang up on me? No, no, I'm right here. Oh, I thought it was goddamn first time interview ever hung up on me. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, no, yeah, not quite. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir, I'm loving it. One very last thing is, uh, so how how do you want Swamp Dog, the legacy, to go down? Um, I just put my tombstone in my head. Um, I'd like to say, you know, I've got a hell of a lot done, but I'm not finished. You know, mm-hmm. that's the way I feel. I, and that's the way I'd like for it to go down. I've, I've got a lot done, but I'm not anywhere near finished. So this is just the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Markley, man, I really enjoyed this. I really did. And I thank you for even giving a fuck about a swamp dog or anything connected to swamp dog. I'm very serious. And uh, I'll be grateful. You know, for anything you might write or say. All right. All right. Well, I really appreciate you giving me some of your time. No problem. I wouldn't want to do nothing with it. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Jerry. Later. Have a blessed day. All right. You too.